Well, I want to add my welcome uh, to you. So glad to uh, be in worship with you and to uh, be in worship with you if you're joining us online. So glad that you've joined us in worship. This morning, my phone had that uh, tone that went off, which said that there's breaking news. Do you know the one? And my response was, oh no, what now? Is it another natural disaster, volcano, earthquake, tsunami? Oh, surely not another mass shooting, or Russia hasn't invaded Ukraine, or another variant of Omicron. I mean, these are the things that went through my brain pretty quickly. And, and so I pulled my phone out and I looked at it, and it was actually the Queen's um, Platinum Jubilee 70 years on the throne and the announcement that Camilla will be called Queen Consort if and when Prince Charles becomes king. Whew. You know the feeling? Do you have that sense when your phone goes off or when it says breaking news on TV or on your computer that it can't be good? What now? because there's a lot going on. We're struggling with a lot of different issues and problems, and I don't need to go through all those. You know them. But it was true of the Christians in the first century. I mean, they really had their struggles. Not only was life hard for most of them, I mean, just the normal course of life in the first century for most of the followers of Jesus, it was tough. But also in many places and times they were persecuted. Sometimes the persecution was mild. Sometimes it was imprisonment or even death. And we see that as we read through the pages of the New Testament and we read between the lines of the letters of Paul and the other letters in the New Testament and the book of Revelation, we see that there was a lot of suffering among the people who were trying to follow Jesus. But they had hope. They had faith. They took love seriously and they loved sacrificially. How was that possible? The Apostle Paul in this first section of 1 Corinthians, and by the way, we're following during, in this series the uh, Revised Common Lectionary. And it's a three-year cycle of readings, if you're not familiar with it. We share it with uh, Christians and other traditions. And um, there are three Sundays in a row in this one chapter of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to spend some time in this chapter. That's how important this chapter is for understanding the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul... Uh, says in this chapter uh, that uh, what he is sharing with them, reminding them of, is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, was buried, was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Simon Peter, uh, to um, the disciples 
And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, some of whom are alive, though some have died, he says. And then to James. And then he appeared to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, or born as if born too late, as our uh, common English Bible has it, he appeared also to me. That's what Paul says is of first importance. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the good news of the presence of the risen Christ with us. What Paul is describing here is really the earliest uh, account of the resurrection of Jesus that we have in the New Testament. Paul was writing, of course, before the Gospels were written. So it's the earliest account. And you notice it has nothing in it about the empty tomb. Because when we do read the Gospels and those accounts, we realize that the empty tomb had no effect on those who first saw it except to make them more fearful and afraid that what had in fact happened is the body had been stolen. The tomb had been robbed. Rather, when we read the Gospels and we see the women going to the tomb, trudging to the tomb early on the day of resurrection, what we now call Easter, trudging to the tomb to take care of that final act of love for their friend and their teacher and their Lord, to anoint the body, to finish the process of burial because they ran out of time before sundown on Friday when Sabbath began. And then you see them running with excitement to tell the disciples that they've encountered the risen Lord. See, what convinced them, what transformed them was the experience of resurrection. It's the same with the disciples. When they go and they tell the disciples who are behind locked doors, they're afraid, they're terrified because of what has happened to Jesus. They scattered when he was arrested. They're terrified, locked behind doors. And the women share with excitement that they've seen the Lord, they've experienced the risen Lord, and their response is they don't believe him. It's an idle tale. Until the risen Lord appears to them as they're gathered together and suddenly there is the presence of the risen Christ with them and it's in that experience that they're transformed. In fact, they are transformed from disciples, students, learners, ultimately to apostles, those who are sent. The next thing you know, they're out, instead of behind locked doors, they're out sharing with confidence the good news of Jesus. That's true of Saul. Saul is Paul's Hebrew name. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was a zealot. He was a hyper-fundamentalist. And a hyper-fundamentalist, whether it's Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or any hyper-fundamentalist, is a person that sees that God is only on their side and dehumanizes the other. 
And we have those hyper-fundamentalists with us today. Paul was one. Zealous for the traditions of his ancestors, Paul said. He was a persecutor of the church. And he's on his way to drag Christians back to Rome in chains when he encounters the risen Christ. Much later, as to one untimely born, he says, or as to one as though born too late, he has his resurrection experience, and he's transformed. Uh, this man who saw anyone not strictly of his faith and tradition as the other, who categorized people, there's male and female, there's slave and free, there's Jew and Greek. This one would write, there is neither slave nor free, or male or free, male or Jew or Greek, for all are one in Christ Jesus. It's remarkable. What was it that made the difference? It was this experience of the resurrected Christ. And you notice that each person, when you read the Gospels, when you read the book of Acts, you see that each person who encounters the risen Christ, who has this resurrection experience, has it in just the way they need. Because that's how much God loves us. That's, that's how much Christ loves us to enable us. It's that prevenient grace that Mark was talking about, the grace that comes before God at work in our lives before we're even aware of it. It's that grace of God that woos each one of us, calls each one of us in just the way we need, and helps us to experience the presence of the risen Christ in just the way we need. Well, we see it. We see it in the women at the tomb. Take Mary, for example. Mary, before she could recognize the risen Christ, had to hear her name, Mary. And it's in that hearing of her name that she recognized the presence of the risen Christ. For those disciples, they needed to have this experience of the risen Christ breathing on them, giving them the Holy Spirit for them to believe. Thomas wasn't with them when he first appeared. It was a week later when Thomas had his experience. And Thomas needed a little bit more convincing. He needed a little bit more evidence. That's true of a lot of us. Where you take Saul, Paul, what did he need? Well, he frankly needed to be knocked on his backside, which is what happened knocked to the ground when he's on his way to persecute Christians, blinding light, a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Blind for three days. It was dramatic for Paul. That's what he needed. It's that way with some of us. It's the resurrection experience that makes all the difference in the world. And what that resurrection experience does, that which is of, of first importance, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and this experience of the risen Christ in the world, Paul calls on those Christians in Corinth to hold firmly to that. 
to hold firmly to that because by holding firmly to that, to that good news and the presence of the risen Christ in the world, they could see the world in a different way, not just the challenges and demands and struggles and problems, but the presence of Christ and God at work in the world. A new vision. By holding firmly to that, they could be transformed and made new. Because as Paul said, in Christ we're new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. The resurrection experience is not just something that happened a long time ago, but it is that experience of being resurrected to new life. The old has passed away, the new has come, as Paul put it. The resurrection experience is also the experience of recognizing that Christ at work in the world today is mostly done through people. That's why Paul would say of the community of faith of the church, as we said a few weeks ago, y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the body, but you are the hands and the feet of Christ in the world today. Holding firmly to the good news of Christ, holding firmly to the good news of the risen Christ at work in the world today is to recognize that we have a call to be the people of God in the world today. We who have experienced reconciliation with God and with others are to be ambassadors of reconciliation ourselves. Again, Paul's words. So one of the ways that we hold firmly is by worshiping together. We hold firmly to this good news by studying. We hold firmly to this good news by praying. We hold firmly to this good news by being in fellowship, in, in relationship with one another, supporting one another. We hold firmly to this good news of Christ alive in the world today uh, as we serve as Christ called us to serve, as we demonstrate in the way that we live and what we stand for that Christ indeed lives. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we pray for that experience of the risen Christ. Open our eyes that we might see that you are at work in the world today. Enable us to use our hands and feet, our hearts, our minds, our gifts and graces, our talents and abilities as members of the body of Christ to demonstrate that he lives, that you are at work in the world. Our gracious God, open our hearts and our minds 
not only to receive this good news, but to hold firmly to it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.